Hi, this is Burning Heron. Hey, this is Melonbread. This is Dole. Hi, this is Will Roy. This is Jake Cook. Hello, this is Kevin. You're listening to The Green Box. On tonight's episode, we're talking all about artifacts. We have a little bit on how green boxes uh, can be filled with artifacts and how you get your players to actually interact with what you put in there. We got a little bit on the program and how they deal with artifacts as well as a fun little NPC that can help you uh, steal or uh, harass some of your players. And we have a little bit on our favorite artifacts. Today's conversation, we thought it would be fun to think about artifacts, weird science, magic items, various other strange and wonderful trinkets that you or your players can find in a Delta Green adventure. So let me me start with one of my biggest complaints about artifacts, which is probably solvable. If you make an artifact too interesting then players don't want to interact with it because they're terrified of, you know, alien technology or whatever it is. We're using the term artifact here to refer to some some kind of um, hybrid geometric trinket, some piece of alien or advanced technology, uh, basically something that breaks the rules of the game in a novel way, but often comes with the cost. I feel like artifacts fall into two camps. They're either so interesting and game-breaking, you know, they allow you to see the future or stop time or change brains with people or do a bajillion damage or whatever, Uh, in which case they're so powerful that players are either too terrified to ever use them or using them has such a high cost and consequences that it's like a one-use thing. Or they're so mundane, like, this thing makes you smell leaves that why would you ever, why even write those down on on the document? So... My issue with artifacts, if I can say it's an issue, is I don't know how to make them both interesting to the players so that they'll actually investigate them and use them, but also interesting in the gameplay as well. Well, I think that uh, you can, let's see, like uh, like any good drug dealer, the first hit's free. So you don't want it to be so poisonous that it just like totally kills the player like the first time they use it. Because then from then on, anytime they go into a green box or anytime they come across something weird, they're just going to be like, nope, fuck no, not going to touch it. So uh, just as a, he's mentioned green boxes as an example in one of the green boxes I use all the time, just as a bit of flavor text, I have uh, in the green box is a, it's a mummy and there's a bell hanging next to the mummy and there's a sign that says, uh, do not remove this bell. If she starts to wake up, ring the bell once, right? There's no other text in there. I don't explain what the mummy is. I've never stabbed the mummy up. I've had so many compliments on that mummy and that bell. Oh, it's so cool. And it was just a bit of flavor to add to this like lived in green box feel. But there's nothing behind it. It's not even, I mean, I guess I call it an artifact, but it doesn't do anything. Like that's not a successful artifact and it doesn't even what I meant to be an artifact. It's it's neat. Um, so I want to talk briefly about like uh some published green boxes with artifacts in them specifically like last things last and lover in the ice they all have like a bunch of junk in them they all have a bunch of junk in their like equivalents of the the green boxes there so in last things last there's one that's like a glass spear that's magnetic or something like that i can't tell you how many times i've ran that and players have been like oh this this must have something to do with the solution to the scenario yes if if you wrote this into the green box it must be relevant that's why there must be a sky devil in the septic tank are we including in our list of what counts as an artifact items that have no special powers but are evidence of hypergeometric or occult activity i'd say that 
fits in the definition. Okay, because in that case, um, that's a. I think that's the the most important kind of artifact is just to have a lot of items that are creepy and weird, but not dangerous or useful. They're just there because it's cool and fun to find things that give you an idea about what the game world is like. Yeah, like play around with the physics of it and. I, I don't I think for these items we we go even a lower level than that like it's not a uh, an item that changes the physics it might just be like the arm of something that has been you know covered in like vitrified in wax or whatever to preserve it or this is just like a, your way of like telling players you're gonna maybe want to think outside of the box sometimes or even just even just here he, here's a cool thing like this green box has a lot of interesting items in it. Maybe some of them are evidence that's useful to you, but most of it's just going to be um, things that are spooky, but don't hurt you, and you can look at them and maybe gain some information. I don't know. So how do you telegraph that to the players? Because they're going to assume every single thing in there is super relevant. You just gave me a great hook for this text that I wrote about how you can tell what an item does using your skills. We say many times on this show that anthropology, archaeology, history, occult, science, medicine, pharmacy, maybe we want to give them more opportunities to use them. So those are your identify skills or your use magic device skills or your, you know, spellcraft skills, uh, to use examples from Pathfinder, 5th edition, etc. That um, your knowledge of the anthropology or the occult or the science, when you look at the artifact, you can tell if it does something before you use it and fuck everything up. So that's a that's a good example, but so he, but I think it doesn't answer the question fully. So let's use the example of the metallic or the the magnetized glass sphere from last week's last. Um, so a player looks at that, they make a roll, they use their physics or whatever to investigate it, and you tell them, okay, it's a glass sphere, it's magnetic. That's odd because glass is is it magnetic? Okay, how do you stop it from them saying to themselves, okay, I got to hold on to this because this must fit into some glass magnetic repository later. Like this must be. I know. I know what this is, but this must be useful. You well. So so the design philosophy of Last Things Last is explicitly stated to be these items are here to seed future campaigns. So first of all, the design philosophy of the scenario that you're referencing is working in direct opposition to your goals here. So what I would say is instead of making each of them a pointed direction to a specific thing, you would rather have a whole bunch, like a whole lot more items than last things last included, because as the volume of items increases, the likelihood that any given one is relevant in the player's mind is going to go down. I, I don't think that's true, Thoughts. They're going to be like, oh, we need to keep track and catalog all of this stuff. It'll all be useful. Why would a GM write this stuff without it being useful? Well, the other the other thing is that that scenario explicitly instructs the players to clean up after the dead man. So, of course, they're going to catalog everything because they need to know whether it's Delta Green related or not. That is a scenario that is specifically designed to cause the problem you are having. When people play Last Things Last, usually it's their first foray into Delta Green. And a lot of players come at it from a sort of Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder mentality where if there's loot, it's good for my player, which which isn't the case here. Like if they put that glass spear in their pocket, you know, maybe it like fucks up their gun later on or uh, yeah, yeah, it gets caught on their whatever it. Oh, you know, like when they're trying when they're trying to get out of the car, it like 
sticks him in the car. You know, whatever. Yeah, yes. But you want to? I'm saying you want to break the players of that mentality. All right. So yeah. So how do you break them that mentality? But so forget the actual scenario design of last things last. Pretend you have all the last things last bits in another green box. It doesn't matter. How do you break the mentality of players to try to? keep all the loot with them even if you don't i mean i guess it doesn't really matter it's just frustrating why would i why would i want to break that into that mentality well i think you of all people hate when the players talk around the table for 30 minutes trying to decide what to do i hate when they talk on the table for 30 minutes but i also hate when they don't interact with the green box contents if i had a group of players that went to a green box and said look at all this wonderful treasure we'll take all of it thanks boss i would say fucking fantastic and i would remind them throughout the write it down on your character sheet yeah and i would remind them throughout the adventure that they had it and they should use it because i write this content hoping that someday in some crazy circumstance come the apocalypse someone will actually use it when i ran that apocalyptic game the past couple of weeks there might have been a chance for just you know some random weird stuff that you pulled from like the first green box you ever went into might have been useful i told you that that scenario the one thing that could have made it better is more magic items because if i'm gonna live in the post-apocalypse i'd probably survive this long because i got some magic shit and my magic axe was pretty bullshit and game breaking let's say but only because this this is going to feed into a discussion later that I have a large list of bullet points that I'd like to grind out. But for now, um, coming back to Kevin's discussion, I don't think what you're describing is a problem. And I'm not saying that because I don't think it happens. I'm saying that if it happened, I'd be very happy. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, so look, look, picture this as like a line, right? On the on the far right of the line, you have players grab every bit of loot they possibly can, and they spend hours determining what it does, and they get stuck on every little bit is. They try to they try to make all the puzzle pieces fit, even though you and I know that there's 25 different puzzles in there. And on the far left side, you have players who won't touch anything because everything is scary, everything is bad. They just box it up and ship it off to, to headquarters. So I think both of those extremes are bad. I think in the middle is ideal. But how do you keep players, how do you drive players towards the middle of those two extremes? First question for uh, either axis, are the players having fun? Well, yeah, for sure. But I think at some point, even I don't like after the first hour and a half of players trying to get the magnetic glass sphere to fit into every single thing they walk past, I would get annoyed. And that's the far extreme. I might get annoyed too, but as long as my players are having fun, uh, I'll, I'll let them poke it wherever they want. But so, I mean, so even I agree, having fun is important. But I think you can even you can see that this could become a problem in just gameplay pacing. So how do you drive players towards the middle? So we let players figure out the, if they have the appropriate skills, figure out what artifacts do without doing, before they have to do something dangerous. Like, you can look at the, the Ankh or whatever and think, hey, the Ankh is the symbol of life. Or you can look at the, um, the weird microwave oven with the handles on it and the big, you know, magneto trigger and the various, uh, things drawn on the inside and say it looks like this was meant to project something and maybe if i could fix it it would shoot something out of the front and so that give give the players clues to its function or even just tell them how it works and the other thing that you do is you want each item this is this is the way to get in the middle to have the players not be over eager but not be so terrified is each item should have a cost a reason to use it and a cost to use it and that's to be clear, we're not talking about just the random crap that you can put in green boxes for fun. That stuff you can kind of do what you please with. But for things that are actually um, break the rules of the game in an interesting way, you want there to be a carrot and a stick. You want there to be a reward. Well, that's not that's not the proper use of that idiom. But you want there to be a, ro- a, a thing, a reason to use it, and a cost to use it. That's pretty much all it takes. And I think that where people go wrong is they make the cost um, either invisibly too high 
like the player like it's not obvious to the players and then the players use the thing like crazy and then get fucked later and it there's no connection between the two which is fine sometimes because you can you can logically say you probably should have known better than to put on that um that jacket that was completely covered in in embossed images of giant beetles and made your skin itch when you wore it they make the cost either invisible invisible or too high. The cost is invisible. Player uses the item. Uh, something horrible happens later to them, and then they say, "Well, you know, what, what, what the fuck was that?" GM tells them, "You, um, you know, you use the thing." And they say, "Well, all right, fair enough. Never that. Never fucking doing that again." If the cost is too high. They pick it up, play with it, immediately put it down. And if the cost is too, I mean, I, I don't. I think it's pretty rare to have items that the cost is too low. I think when people design items that the cost is too low, they're usually thinking of it from a D&D perspective of, this is a magic item, it should be useful. I think there are examples I can think of that I've written that have, I've later thought um, needed to be more uh, impactful, but for the most part, the cost being too low is really a problem. So you want it to be something that they could potentially use in a situation, but there's a cost. And the cost should be something but the other thing is that um you can also th- 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 this is a, a a digression because we're talking about green box artifacts but you can also have items that have a cost to create them and these items i think don't work as well usually because if you're just finding something then that cost is kind of opaque to you like if you find you know the cultist had a, a, a wizard knife or whatever well cool now i have a wizard knife um but if you if it's something where you would make a player go through that to create it for themselves that's fine because then you're paying 20 sanity for a fucking useless trinket or something that's useful in very narrowly prescribed circumstances. I think something that, so I, I say this having never done it, so this may be bad advice, but I think it just kind of came to me. Um, having an artifact either used on the players or used in front of the players by by another actor um, could be a good way of, sh- one, showing and not telling what it does, but also showing the cost. Absolutely. Because if you find, if you find the wizard who is, like, he, you know, he has a specific item that shoots like a. Let's 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 just just do something simple. The wizard has a ray gun that shoots a laser. He shoots with the laser, and then when you get the when you kill the wizard or when you capture him, you see that his hair is falling out. He looks very sick because it's a radiation thing. Yeah, he's getting either irradiated or maybe he's got big fucking burns all over his hands, or maybe he's slowly becoming a creature of radiant no, light. See, you gave a narrative description, and I, the person who wasn't in on it, figured it out. Yeah, exactly. And I 100% agree that um, a lot of these items are taken by the players or just found in the company of bad actors, and the bad actor's behavior is a clue as to what he's up to. So, for example, in... Um, the beauty of the white ape woman must not perish from the earth. There is a if you if you recover the security camera footage of the Robin Museum, you just straight up see the Nazi smoke his magic pipe and walk through walls. You just have it. You have it. You have a clue that gives it away to you what the item does. One of the great, really good consequences for overusing an artifact is either addiction to its effects or a totemic compulsion with it. For addiction, addiction is great if it's a consumable item. So if you're smoking the magic tobacco or snorting the crystals that give you back willpower but also give you hallucinations or injecting yourself with things that increase your skills because they build little nano connections in your brain temporarily, um, that stuff and you pass a breaking point, that's going to get you addicted to it is my, is my feeling. And then the other case is 
even items that don't necessarily cause a loss but are of sand in and of themselves but are extremely useful and get you through bad situations will give you an, 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 a totemic compulsion with them. And the classic example that Jake was alluding to is Erebus the firefighter who learned that a magic spell could make his fire axe deal damage to extra-dimensional creatures and spent about 15 to 20 sanity making that happen. That's a case of, um, I mentioned earlier the, the idea that there's a cost to create rather than a cost to use. And I do think that that has made him slightly broken because it means that now he can just use it with impunity, which I'm fine with because I don't like um, magic damage resistances as a game design. And so I'm happy to have something that cuts through it both literally and figuratively. So yeah, that's what I got is that um, it can lead to results that are fun, but maybe a bit unbalanced. The other thing is that if, if you have a player who has fun using artifacts, that's great because artifacts are fun. They are a thing that gives you a bit that breaks the rules of the game at a cost. And if people are willing to pay the cost to break the rules, then great. As long as you don't give them so completely game-breaking that, you know, oh, I sacrificed my character, but I win the scenario. Like, that's not... Because then it starts not being fun for other people. So I don't know, after all that, if you're, like, pro-artifact or anti-artifact, or, or you just want them to work in a certain way. If you could sum up your advice on how to write good artifacts for your games in three sentences, how would you do that? Artifacts are fun and can allow your players to break the rules in interesting ways at a cost. You must think of a good effect that makes the artifact useful and a cost that is either obvious from the start or obvious when it happens. You can you you can let the players use their skills if they have the appropriate kind of academic skills to determine what an artifact does before they use it. And I'm going to do a fourth sentence because I don't feel like, feel like I emphasize this point fairly enough. Uh, artifacts, when in doubt, you should err on the smaller side. So a smaller effect, a smaller sand cost. Because if you make it too big and too explodey and too powerful, then it either just mulches the player instantly or it makes is too disruptive to the scenario and future scenarios. One of the things I was thinking when we were talking about the the bigger artifacts, you know, not not the player mulching ones, but the the bigger ones. In theory, uh, players who come across an artifact would want to report that to their handler to the program because it's you know one of those uh, core rules which only pseudo exists. Uh, and if they do that, what's you know why doesn't Delta Green just come in and take all the artifacts away? So any thoughts on that kind of interaction or, or lying to the handler or it's all about how you the handler frame it. The attitude you want your players to have is the attitude that you push them towards, I guess. Uh, if you want them to not interact with your stuff, have them or the case officer instructs them to, you know, immediately inform me of anything dangerous. Uh, leave it alone. Don't touch it. Players are probably going to touch it anyways. But that isn't exactly a fun or simulating stimulating uh, game environment to be in. Well, I think if you if you put the players between the choice of well, I know I should I have this I have this artifact and I think it will help me against the the bad, but I know I should report it. If I report it, they'll take it away. And I think I need it. If I don't report it, then I'm just making this conscious decision to to not report it, and that's bad. So I, I think that might be a fun choice to force on the players, uh, assuming it's not needed to win, but maybe it is helpful to win. So they're having to decide where they actually stand, and then I know uh, 
I know I, at least I've had talks with some of you guys about trying to push people away from towing the line of the program into the reality of the program is bad. There could be a fun way to push players in that direction if that's where your game is going. I mean, we've been talking about they're already kind of self-imposed obstacles to players to want to interacting with the artifact. So I think it would be fun if a player decided to role play out. Uh, I'm not sure whether I want to keep this or if I want to be a good like agent and hand it over to my case officer. But I don't know if I, as a handler, I would impose consequences down the road for deciding you want to keep it and have fun with it. Here's the thing. Why would reporting it to the handler necessitate being taken away? Because one of the objectives of Delta Green is secure advanced technology. Yes, and how do they do that? By taking it away and giving it to their research bureaucracy and March Technologies. Not always. Sometimes they task agents with disposing of it in a green box. Consider, you report to your case officer, I had this artifact. It doesn't have any immediate technological or research value. What should I do with it? Your case officer says, here's an address and a password. Go there. Leave it there. Now you know where it is and how to get it. And you also know that no one is keeping an eye on it. If it had no technological value, then it would not fit my description of an artifact that has a good use and a cost. Will, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna question, I'm gonna question your assumptions. Will one, uh, what player character is cleared to make those determinations? That's the March Technologies thing. And two, as soon as you drop it off in the green box and leave, Carl Noma is gonna drive up and take it away, or at least thoroughly investigate it. So you may go back there two weeks later to go pick it up, and then it's uh, it's gone. I think it's pretty clear that we have divergent assumptions about how Delta Green works behind the scenes. I mean, so I'm just saying, if if my if, my, if, I, if I'm playing running a game and my my players call their case officer and say, "Hey, we found this uh, monkey's paw that lets that grants wishes, but it has no. Uh, uh, we found we found this deformed monkey's paw. We don't think it has any value." I'd be like, um, "Why don't you give that to someone who actually knows what the fuck they're doing and get back okay, to your fucking enough. job?" Take the bit where I said it doesn't have any research value and replace that with some suitable description that communicates that information to the case officer without the player actually saying out loud. I mean, that's fair. So, so, so take that and uh, run that back through the response, and what do we get? Again, this. This kind of runs back to how we run Delta Green, but you know, to me, Delta Green is much more interested in securing a piece of technology because those are not expendable than it is expanding a team of agents. So if, if, a, if a team of agents was starting to add KG about, if, if you were like, all right, turn it into the nearest green box, and they were like, oh, we're going to hang on to it, then uh, there would probably be a couple, like in the home scenes, there would be some single car accidents and uh, some cleanup happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if they said to the case officer, yeah, we're going to keep it, but I mean... I mean, even if they said, oh, we'll drop it off, I think the case officer would be like, let's uh, let's spin up another team and have them make sure this team does what they've been told. I'm not convinced that the program has that much oversight on, on their field agents in the absence of any other indications of disloyalty. And this also this also sounds like it's coming back to the conversation about you're creating the problem that you're trying to solve. That's very true. This yeah, this this is this is in a nutshell why I don't like the program. Because um, I think Victor Eichmann described it very well. It is it places the char- the player characters in a bureaucratic hierarchy with all of the costs and none of the benefits. That you are not only constantly being told what to do and constantly exposed to danger without your say-so. But as soon as you find anything fun, they send a team of elite impossibles to take it away from you. And that's fair. So so I, I guess I guess maybe a more reasonable approach might be to use potentially use the player's reporting of an artifact and then their further disposition as maybe a data point in a set of data points that may be driving them away from the conspiracy or deeper into its arms. Or, and how about this, the players just don't fucking tell the handler about it. 
That'll be difficult because the handler is the one running the game. Well, then they re- should really be exercising good tradecraft. You get to the end of the end of the game, they're fighting the big the big bad, and they pull out something that you've written that you've never seen before, and they're like, "I use this artifact." And you're like, "I thought you were going to say you get to the end and the players pull out guns in real life." <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you know. That would be pretty sick if the players had the had something that the the handler had just never shared with anybody. That'd be some real Delta Green shit. The real fucking Delta Green starts here. Yeah, like they they went into your computer and they they read all your your notes and files. And they present to you this thing that you hadn't presented to them yet. I, I love that. And then they all pull off their masks and they're all you. Yes. <laughs> okay. But then who was phone? That's good. I, I have a thing I want to nitpick. That That is Lover in the Ice. The mission of the agents is to go there because there's a compromised screen box. See what's in there. Make a list. And, uh... You know, report back is essentially how the, it, it starts, at least. There's a item in there that that just fucking kills a player so it's like a force you're forcing the players to interact with the items there that is the mission you have to really wait yeah is this the is this the nine layer puzzle box only a player who wants to to meme that up or wants to leave the game early or whatever is going to actually get to the ninth layer and disappear i was gonna say you have to interact with it nine times with i think a dex or an intelligence roll and you have to lose San, I think, towards the seventh and eighth time you do it. I will say that's true. However, if the players are taking their instruction to evaluate the green box's contents to mean figure out what it is and what it does, then they will interpret that as them having a direct order from the boss to do it. That's my nightmare scenario, is that is I get railroaded into touching something that kills me. So there's, there's two things, and this is specific to to lever on the ice one uh it telegraphs pretty pretty well for the players to know it's pretty dangerous but they also specifically give you an an npc so if if a player truly does get all the way to level nine and and disappear which is awesome uh and like super jarring for everyone else they they immediately get handed another player character and are still in the game um i've never seen it happen i would love to um i had somebody get to like level five one time with everyone else just screaming at him to please stop which was fucking hilarious but uh, okay that's that's fun especially if like they try and stop him that that's that's good it's a valid criticism of that kind of artifact but i think not of that specific artifact in that specific scenario anyways the the point i was wanted to bring up there is if you're going to design your own artifacts don't don't just do some bullshit item that just kills somebody i think that's fine as long as like this it's incredibly complicated and requires lots of consistent effort to get yourself killed by it so hang on while while we're talking uh lover of the ice is real quick um it, it has a, a, an object in there that i kind of forgot about but it was used in one of my games in lover of the ice there's this violin that when you play it like other people hear it but not you and it just so happened my team had split up and half of them were messing with the artifacts. Half of them were investigating a house. And every time they played it, there were, there were other players in the house who were doing something. So I was having them hear it. And it was it was cueing them to things that didn't actually exist. And it, it completely threw them for a loop. It was awesome. I think the Lover and the Ice Screen boxes in general are great examples of how we meant what we mentioned earlier. Creepy shit that doesn't really do anything, doesn't help you or hurt you. It's just creepy and weird. I don't know if this is still in the Delta Green version of Lover in the Ice, but in the original systemless pay-what-you-want version, there are shout... A lot of the green box items are shout-outs to other scenarios he's written. Yeah, that's in the new one. Okay, cool. That's in the new one as well. There's a reference to Red Tower. I really like the one that's a reference to uh, Bryson Springs, how it's just the wooden head 
and how if you let go of it, it slowly starts floating up to the ceiling and bouncing <laughs> off of it. Yeah. And if you take it outside, it will just float up into the air until it disappears. But then there's also just like the box of tumors that spell out the like the Hebrew letters. Oh yeah, that's really good. One of the things I like is that you know in a one shot you can have. I feel like in a one shot you can have items that are much more dangerous and can almost just kill people because you can just hand them another one shot character. But in a longer form campaign i think you need to ramp items up a lot more slowly and start with more mundane and uh slowly get them over time to investigate this thing they found and figure out what it does and uh figure out what the cost is and then find a use for it and that kind of thing um i don't have a, i tend to run mostly one shot style games i don't have the ability to or i haven't had a good chance to write good or bad artifacts that meet that philosophy i think one thing i'll, I'll also say is that you should never let a coherent philosophy get in the way of doing something that you know will be cool. Because that's been my problem, is that I get too wrapped up in this, like, what does it mean to be a good to be good game design? And I don't think enough about, are the players going to think this is cool? Are they going to think this is fun? Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Any tips that we might have for designing items of our own? And something I've found is really neat and really kind of cool to do is just take something from, say, D&D or Pathfinder and just kind of delta greenify it. Um, like you talked about, add uh, an associated cost with it, but still make it beneficial for the player to use. I can't find the text for it, but basically, like, just take the spell haste. What does it do? It gives the your adventurer extra actions per turn. So you do that in uh, delta green, and what happens? Well, their body's going to start to break down. Uh, the the longer they use it, or the more and more that they do it, right? The 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 difficulty that I see with just taking items and porting them, because you're right, it can be awesome. But the difficulty that I see with just porting items directly is that, um, and obviously you don't port them directly, you you move stuff around. But that um, I think what 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 what's an what's an so so you've got you've got the spell haste, and you can give it a cost, which is that yeah, your body breaks down, or you generate too much heat, and you hurt yourself. What else? Because because I'm thinking I'm thinking uh, you know what what are your magic items like? Well, I mean. The benefit of making three attacks in a combat round is with a lethality weapon is uh, pretty powerful. Or moving, you know, three times as faster. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm saying that that's that's fine. Um, I also think it should make you age faster. That's tough to mechanically incorporate. I just though. subtract a point of con or say a strength or something, you know, dex. I mean, it's not that difficult to mechanically represent. I can say, hey, you guys just saw his posture get worse. You notice that his hair is gone. He's having trouble holding his weapon. I like, I like the 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 just steal shit from other places. I think though maybe what what if there are better places to rob than just D twenty games? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I wasn't saying that to limit it. To no, D20. I, I know, but I'm saying that's a great starting point. But what, where would you steal them from if you were trying to find a really like unknown armies or? Actually, uh, Godlike is nice because they have a huge list of just like superpowers which you could kind of liberally steal from i mean godlike has that negative uh side effects thing as well when because you actually have to like purchase your superpowers in the game and to like offset the cost you can give yourself drawbacks or whatever so there is like a huge list of drawbacks in the godlike book as well i do think that when you're just talking about going through lookup tables, you do run the risk of making your your item just lol random. Because I know that there are people out there who will remain nameless on this podcast who think that that is a great design philosophy for artifacts in a Delta Green game. But I think that it needs to... The problem with making stuff random like that is that it makes it much harder to make it clear from the item what it does. 
Well, you could keep it to yourself. Like keep the if you design the item and you're the handler in the situation, keep the effects like the exact nature of the effects to yourself, and then just narratively describe what happens. You know, just keep up with the the de- digression of the player who's using that haste spell over time or whatever. What do you think about that? I think that that is a lot of bookkeeping to put on the handler. I think that if I was doing that for every artifact, it would make me much less likely in my own head to use them because I don't want to constantly be generating things that increase my liability in terms of what I have to keep track of. So I think that it's a great idea, but you gotta be, you got to have the patience for it. Uh, I think, um, Kevin, Will, you guys have, have spoken about your uh, philosophy. Heron, what? Because I know they've seen you put items in your games that do stuff. Uh, I don't think I've... In fact, you created you created a faction of NPCs that exist specifically <laughs> to steal them. <laughs> yes, I did. Which is, which is interesting, because I don't think I've ever made an artifact in one of my games. I always steal stuff created by other people in the community, or just from the green box generator. Uh, if I'm going to make stuff, I would... I would typically either create a new ritual or a new tome. But uh, yeah, the faction you were talking about, because of the problems with interacting with green boxes, I created a couple of different NPCs whose goal is essentially they try to rob green boxes. Your players have to get in there and figure out what's in there and understand what they do and what might be dangerous and what is just junk. And so even if it's just for study or research purposes or to move there somewhere else, now you have an excuse to play with them in a safe environment and figure out what they are and try to prevent them from falling into the wrong hands. And one of them is essentially a group of Yogg-Sothoth cultists who... Their deal is kind of weird. They're kind of like playing Pascal's Wager, and they don't actually have any religious fervor for Yogg-Sothoth, but they realize, oh, if I go through the motions and say these prayers and do these rituals, Big Yogi is going to give me all this magic knowledge back, and that's going to make me super badass. Yeah, uh, it is a... Because I, I think we, we talked we talked offline about how we want the relationship to with, with the whole... Cult, cult, cultists can be... You know, sincere devotees, they can be people who want power, they can be people who are afraid of the of the deity or the mythos entity. But in this specific case, they were these these are the burglar monks, by the way, that we're talking about, because I think it's good to put your brand name on them because that's what people are gonna remember. And I think you did say that, but I wanted to make sure I said it again. So the burglar monks are the guys that lift the artifacts off you, and then one thing that that struck me is that they would then go and potentially use them. Yeah, so a big part of the burglar monks is that they're a great way to recycle content because even if they, even if players don't interact with anything in the green box, you can always just say, oh weird, one of our green boxes got tossed over the other day and a couple things are missing. And suddenly this weird monster shows up to confront the players and it might have whatever artifact you had planned to be a fixture for the night and the players just didn't want anything to use to do with it, now it is being used against them, and they are figuring out how it works the hard way. And some of the rules can be different if it's an NPC using an artifact, because there are artifacts in the world that have a hefty sand cost or whatever, or do stuff that an NPC isn't bothered by. And that's the other decision that you have to make when you're designing these items is, is it something that I actually want the players to fuck with, or is it something that only a completely insane, stupid asshole would want to put in his hand? Right, that's a good point, because when you're making the artifact, you have to figure, like, 
is the drawback that only that you lose sand? Because if not, if I have zero sand, that's really not going to stop me from using it whenever I want. So how do you choose what you want to? Because you said that you take stuff from other scenarios rather than doing it yourself. How do you choose what you want to include? Uh, I want to choose something really creepy, really... I think what I look for is not necessarily... It has a really big, obvious drawback to it as much as it is off-putting and really unpleasant to be around it and use it like i had uh i ran another version of i ran another version of woodhull's social alehouse that started with a green box getting knocked over and it was interesting because only a couple of things had been taken uh it was actually a mundane burglar and so he didn't see any of the weird creepy stuff. He only took some of the mundane stuff like counterfeit bills and a couple of shotguns and things like that. So the players were interacting with all the weird stuff and it was like this hand that could crawl around on its own fingers and would try to grab your hand and then it would lead you to uh, missing items. So that was a little bit of a helpful thing, but they didn't want to do it because they were too weirded out by it. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Or I think what I'm looking for is something that doesn't really have a high sand cost or any other kind of mechanical drawback to using it, but something where it's just weird enough and just a little bit unpleasant enough that it makes you think twice about whether you want to interact with it. And I think that might be really good. Yeah, I think, Jake, you were saying earlier, back through several digressions, that the first taste is always free or something. The first hit is always free. Yeah, any good drug dealer knows that you got to get people hooked on your product. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a good methodology to take where there's a pretty negligible cost to use it in terms of sand or willpower. But once they stop using it, then you hint at some kind of unpleasant side effect. And then when they go we'll back it to withdrawals. it, yeah, and then as they keep using it, they start feeling it stronger. So I, I was like the idea of messing with your senses. So like an artifact that when you touch it with your hands, you taste it, you don't feel it with your hand, you feel it in your mouth or like, you know, like as you smell something. Like if you, if you sniff something, you you know you hear it. Things like that would be kind of freaky. Yes, and those could be mundane, but also fun. That's something <clears throat> I was actually just about to get into. Is there's another item in the green box generator, which is I think like a 1950s gas grenade launcher for police, and it mentions that the stock is stained dark, presumably with dried blood, and it works normally except whenever you fire it, you can hear people screaming who aren't there. Just these phantom screams in your in your ear. Oh man, that's heavy. Favorite artifacts from both your real Delta Green published modules or from things that you've seen on the internet other people have created. Does it have to be Delta Green? Uh, no. Okay, because the, the the best artifact that I have ever used was in a Pathfinder game, and it was in this little dungeon that I made because it was my week of dungeon. And uh, in a little secret room off the side, on an altar, there was a set of bagpipes. And they were like, what the hell is this? They pick it up, start playing it. Guy playing it turns invisible. Bagpipes of invisibility. That is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Had had the players in like rolling on the floor almost. It was it was great. No, that's a that's a good funny meme item, but at the same time has like pretty much exactly fits every design goal that I set out at the beginning of the of the discussion. That's why it's so great. It's hilarious. And it has 
uh, limited, albeit, but it does have some practical value. I think that all you have to do to Delta Greenify that is to make the pipe instrument a bit more like the Azathoth-flavored ones. Oh, the pipe of Azathoth, okay. Well, yeah, like the ones that his... What about some sort of five-hold instrument? That Yeah, you could also do that direction and make it like um, an Elder Ocarina or whatever, but uh, the exact thematic guise isn't important because I think the mechanical hook is pretty strong. Uh, you would just try to think of something that maybe fit with whatever you were trying to do with it. Yeah, the comedy the... wouldn't work as, quite as well for Delta Green. Or maybe it would. I think it would still work, because Delta Green can have um, just silly shit in it. Like, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world if you have an item that's not designed to be, you know, creepy and gross or whatever. Anyway, a more serious example, um, the shotgun scenario that I wrote for Maxine uh, was about an artifact. It was just a little, a little button uh, attached to an LED light running through a circuit that sends signals back in time. Now, that item, if I recall was not an item that had, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about it in terms of costs and benefits. That was something that was a trap. Yes. That was something where the only solution here was to not fuck with it. Yes, indeed. And in fact, the area was about uh, cleaning up because somebody stumbled upon it and fucked with it. The specific operation of the button, based on the name you can imagine, you press the button and the light lights up. Due to the circuitry used in the button and the magic principles therein, it lights up before you push the button. There is no way ever to beat it. If it lights up, it lights up because you will push it. There is no way to beat it. And that's what drives people mad because they think that they can cheat fate and they can't do it. And can, and so at the end, basically the two two out of the three people are at zero sand. But I was thinking, how do you fix this? Well, they feel that they are, you know, the psyche's too damaged. They all they can do is send a push button. So you give them you give them a, a bogus one. You give them a fake button. You give them a, a, a placebo. You give them a placebo. You let them beat it. And then they are cured, and they can go back to their regular life and have adventures and be sane as long as they never, ever, ever, ever try it again. I wish I had thought of that. That is brilliant. That is, I think, and it was a scenario that, like, it lets people, you know, off the hook. It gives the, it gives the players some sand back. You just have to really make sure that none of them try it again, because otherwise it's just going to be worse when they figure out that actually they were duped. Also, you were at word count already, I think, and you'd, you'd done a lot to slim it down, so I don't know if you'd have been able to get that in there. I could have fit that. I could have fit that in instead of the throwaway line about Hounds. That's fair, yeah. I, I did like, though, um, well, now we're getting into the weeds. But yeah, um, good item uh, takes a different tack to what we've been talking about, where this one is very transparently, don't fuck with this. Yeah, very much the other side of the spectrum there. But it's an example of how you can use it in scenario design rather than use it um, as a as a thing that the players would want to interact with. Kevin, what do you have? Uh, I it, it wasn't. I don't really have a good favorite. I I really liked in Melonbread's scenario, which I can't remember the name of, but it, with the Jewish bookstore, Glass House like One a, Blend. Yeah, that's basically just a free for all where everyone tries to kill everyone. There's like a monkey's paw, which I think would be a really awful item for anything but a one shot. But I think it worked awesome in the one shot because the player is not afraid to use it. Remind me which item this is. <laughs> uh, so the the one guy has like the monkey's paw, the severed hand. Yeah, the server's hand. There we go. Oh, yeah, that's the one I put in that green box I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah so you can ask it a question, and it'll like point you in the direction of stuff. Uh, I don't remember what the cost on it was, but I feel like it would never get used in like a in a 10-scenario 10, you know, 10 scenario campaign run. It'll probably be too terrified of it, but it works great in a one-shot where your only goal is to survive. The one thing that I didn't do with that that I, I should have... So, yeah, it's a, it's a hand that... Um, it's a, a preserved, severed human hand. It's covered in tattoos that... Um, you can, if you if you know the right language, you know that it's a prayer for reci- for finding treasure. And so the hand, and but if you if you guys are familiar with the novel, um, I forgot what the fuck it's called, uh, 
the land across, this will all sound quite familiar to you because that's where I took it from, but the hand is not only, you know, going to point your way, it will also just come to life of its own accord and crawl around on its fingers. And the one thing that I didn't do that I really should have is I should have put a mechanic in there for forming a bond with it. Yeah. So what was nice about it is that, um, sorry, not, not to get too in the weeds of the scenario, but some of the some of the player characters in the scenario were working at odds with some of the others. Uh, my character was one of the straight characters who was just there to solve the problem. So, but he was getting suspicious of the other characters. So when one of them like pulls out this tattooed hand and like whispers to it like creepily it was like super jarring but then it, it was good it led us to the right place but it's also like why do you why do you have that i think i think i wrote in there that if you fuck with the hand for too long i wrote in the in the, the description of it not in the in the article um if you fuck with it for too long it gives you a totemic obsession with it because it's like your guy is this hand it's your pal. Can't let go, of your buddy. It's your battle buddy. He'll tell you where to throw their grenade. Yeah, it's it's a, a and a, and a creepy thematic hook, and it can be used in kind of unconventional ways because depending on what your rapport is with the hand, uh, it might. It was also um, what's the what's the name of the hand from the Adams family? Things. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So a good good um, gratifying reference to something that I wrote. Thank you. Well, here's another one because. There's not a whole lot of published uh, artifacts in the Delta Green canon, uh, but I'm pretty fond of your artifact from, I think it was Anks for the Memories. Anks, but no thanks. Anks, but no Anks. Anks, Anks for the Memories is probably something uh, entirely different. But You could do that one, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard of it, but you could definitely write uh, an Egyptian adventure but anyways this thing it is an ank and whoever wears it just can't die their body heals wounds uh sometimes right yeah you i think you left in the text you leave it up to the handler whether they can reattach their limbs or you know what happens to them but basically you just make somebody into like wolverine well no no that's the that's the distinction you you it you wear the ank you wear the ank it does not give you supernatural healing powers. It just stops you from dying. So you, in the course of your adventures, wearing this ank, you'll heal your normal injuries. You will eventually take... So so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a small little amulet. It's an ank. It's an Egyptian symbol of eternal life. While wearing it, you cannot die. It does not protect you from damage. Your body can be damaged as normally. You take sand loss for being hurt, uh, you know, if you're not an act of violence. But what happens eventually, and this has happened in a game that I ran with a character who was wearing it, because he found it and he figured out what it did. Eventually, you will take an injury that is fatal. You will be shot through the head or the heart or some other part of your body that cannot grow back, no matter whether you're wearing the ank or not. If you ever take the ank off, you die instantly. So the cost to this item is not something that is mechanical. The cost is that eventually your character, rather than dying, becomes functionally a zombie sustained only by a magic artifact that they can never take off ever. And their injury, especially if it's something disfiguring will have to be accounted for in the future because the specific example is the guy wearing the ank um, was in a boat with somebody fighting a monster the other guy crit failed and shot him through the head didn't kill him but he had a big old 556 sized hole going from one eyeball out to a big old exit wound in the back of his head and he had to find some way to disguise that forever that would be some legit like horror if it was an injury like a decapitation yes that's the well that's the question is because if you get decapitated uh you take a staple gun and some epoxy well the thing is is that if you get decapitated your head is separate from the ank 
So, yeah, because... so the head dies. Well, so your head if, dies. If you're wearing a necklace and it gets decapitated with your head. That's a good question. Yeah, because that could absolutely. And then you're just the head. You're, you're the head from you're you're that head from Ogloff. Yes. The term you're looking for is uh, is bisection through the midsection. So I don't know if I have a favorite one from published DG material, but there's one on the Fairfield project that I really enjoy. It's hematovision goggles created by MJ12, and it's literally. A pair of goggles where you put them on and all the blood in front of you is highlighted this glowing violet like inside people's bodies or whether it's in a bag or whether it's just splattered on the ground. Karen, you wrote in that you wrote in the show notes that you didn't think it was actually that useful. No, I think it's I think it has very specific uses. I think like this one strange use that you can see blood, you can actually do a surprising number of things with. You could use it as essentially makeshift night vision goggles where you can see a an enemy team sneaking up on you in the dark, or you can use it... It's better than a uh, thermal in that case, because there's no ambient... There's no... I mean, there, there's there's no ambient heat. There's just ambient blood. Yeah, and you can use it at a crime scene to see, like, how many people maybe were murdered, or to get the blood spatter. If any of it has been cleaned up, it might still pick something up, because it says it works on dried blood as well. And one of the drawbacks it mentions on the Fairfield Project is that, obviously, if you see blood where blood should not be, that's going to be pretty disturbing. But it also says that the device is weirdly organic looking. It doesn't look like a normal pair of goggles. Like, I imagine it is... It has a bug, a bug's eyes. Yeah, it has, like, the compound eyes of an insect. <laughs> so I'm just imagining, like, the thing just looks so alarming and strange that it makes you wonder why anyone would invent this thing that does this very has this very specific use case and why would it look so gross the other thing i like about it is that it says i think it says if you wear it for too long it might start to like suck your own fluids so to go back to something i was saying earlier i think you use it the first time and there's no drawback you just think it's a weird set of goggles but you try to take it off and it's almost like sucking your face like it really doesn't want to be removed and then the second time you wear it you might feel a little prick at some point and then it starts sucking your own blood i would take a different direction with it because that's that's good because there's a precedent in the dg lore for migo tech um eating meat and blood to sustain itself but i think instead of making the cost that the thing wants to steal your life force your precious bodily energy i think that the cost should be that you feel naked without it that you start to feel that if you don't have this thing on, you are a sitting duck. Oh yeah, that's the thing I was thinking is that you use it too long also, going back to what you said about disorders. I would say this if you use if you get a disorder from using this too much, that would be either totemic compulsion or conversion disorder blindness, where you can't actually see yeah. anything unless you're wearing the goggles. Now, um, I, we're so cruel to Dole, but I'm going to come back and defend him here because he did a cool thing with one of his NPCs, which is that um, it's an NRO Delta, like, catalyst, superhuman, augmented man. And uh, he was thinking, like, you know, what surgery should this man have? Uh, and he was like, what about if I can get the hematovision as a secondary eyelid? Yeah, that was pretty cool. And so then this, but then the guy went, basically went insane because he now he's, he, he, he feels that he can't, um, he's basically got an obsessive compulsive disorder around it because he sees it everywhere. I will list my things that I like, and um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should go through the things that I created myself because I have a huge list here, and it would be kind of self-aggrandizing, but when does it ever stop me? Just 
pick pick your favorite. Um, so one thing that I I do like, and it is one that it really only is useful for NPC and NPC, but um, a player might use it. Is uh, I think from original Delta Green, I think Reinhardt Galt's ring is actually a cool design because it's something that's pretty useless for a player because it just takes your sand until you hit zero. Uh, when you wear it, but Reinhardt Galt's ring, for those of you who don't know, he's the the cannibal Nazi from the original game, and he had a magic ring that blocked uh, any attack with damage equal to or less than his power. And it was cool because it gave the villain a... Like, it it prevented the players from just, you know, killing him in one shot, but it didn't make him invincible. Like, one of the things that I disliked about uh, dead letters is that it specifically instructs the handler not to let the players kill the, the villain. And I'm like, no, you already have a perfect thing in there for making it difficult but not impossible. And it only blocks certain sources of damage resistance, and I think that's the part that um, would be the hardest to kind of signal, is that, hey, maybe if you set this guy on fire or something, then, you know, he'd be in trouble or electrocute him or whatever. But I still think it's a solid, um, just very easy to explain. And you could easily port that the new Delta Green by just saying um, attacks with lethality less than or damage less than the power. Don't affect them. Uh, compact, design. Um, the cost makes it way, way, way too high for a player to use, but for an NPC it's fine. We did, it takes us back to that discussion we had earlier about zero sand. Let's see, I've got this list here. The um, tobacco, simple effect. It's a it's a it's a box of tobacco. Uh, this one I stole from a uh, francophone comic series called Dungeon, which is one of my favorite comics of all time. Definitely my favorite Euro comic. And this is a tobacco that when you smoke it, you can walk through walls. And it costs one sand per meter of no, it's per foot of material moved through minimum one. Which I mean, I don't think that the tobacco's designers actually tried to work it out to get it to be in, in U.S. customer units. I think that's just a convenience on my part because if it was one meter, then you can move through a lot more stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, this thing is. Simple, one sand, one willpower per foot of movement. The main cost to it is that if you fuck up, you get stuck on the wall and die. If you stop smoking it for some reason, if you run out of willpower or hit a breaking point, what? I guess the breaking point wouldn't do it. Because if, well, let's say, let's say you're walking through a wall with the tobacco that lets you walk through walls, and the cigarette falls out of your mouth. So that is one. And, and if you get addicted to it, because it is tobacco, it's magical. Um, I think one thing that we didn't talk about in super in-depth is theming, because an, if an item can have a cost and a benefit, but you also have to decide what the physical item is. You know, is it a, a like a, a coaster on a table that's stained with an unidentified fluid? Is it a tangle of wires going into a series of uh, beige plastic boxes that look like um, an alternate history interpretation of what the first uh, uh, microcomputers would have looked like? Is it a a walrus ivory fountain pen with strange glyphs on the side. So think of something um, cool and kind of understated. It doesn't have to be covered in skulls and blood and spikes and stuff. As always, please uh, take a second to check us out on all our various social media platforms. On Twitter, we are at 9mmretirement. You can always find us in the Night of the Opera Discord or Reddit Night of the Opera. Follow us on Facebook, and uh, the biggest thing you can do if you enjoy what we do is uh, make a post, tell us your favorite part, tell us what you hated about it, ask us a question, etc., and that's something we appreciate. Thank you for listening to The Green Box.